Hey companions, uh, this is Peter. And this is Tom. And this is a pre-recorded episode from Podstalgic. So uh, this episode is still there, but we decided to put these on Cobra Kai Companion. So that way you guys get to hear all the stuff that we have done previously. Yes, basically it's the same uh, Tom and Peter, same show, just a little bit more directly uh, fed to you. And here it is. Hey, this is Marty McFly, and you're listening to Hydrate Level 4 Presents Podstalgic, a film podcast on core temp arts. Wait a minute, wait a minute, are you telling me you built a time machine out of a podcast? Welcome to another episode of Podstalgic. This is a podcast where we take a nostalgic look and rediscover movies new and old. Uh, for this episode, we are continuing and concluding our Karate Kid uh, retrospective uh, with the review for Karate Kid Part 3 and also the next Karate Kid. Uh, so I'm recording a special bumper here because after the initial recording, I was able to get a uh, interview from Sensei William Christopher Ford, who was actually in Karate Kid Part 3. So what we're going to do here is we're going to review Karate Kid Part 3. I will then play a um a snippet of my uh interview previously done with Gabriel Jarrett who had a uh, a cameo during um during a scene and then we will play the uh, interview with uh, sensei uh, William Christopher Ford and then the review of the next Karate Kid which I'm sure you guys are all anticipating on hearing but with the interview, uh, I just wanted to um, thanks again uh, to uh, Sensei William Christopher Ford there for giving me the opportunity uh, to speak with him. Uh, he gave a lot of great anecdotes. Uh, he even talks about uh, at one point where the uh, character of Mike Barnes, who was the bad boy of karate uh, in part three here, at one point, the actor almost got replaced with another actor. So a lot of great uh, information about, um, you know, some nuggets from even the part one. So, um, you know, I'm, I'm really excited for you guys to hear it. I had a lot of time speaking with him. And then he talks about this uh, a campaign that he's doing as well with raising money for uh, St. Jude's. So he talks about that and a book that, uh, you know, uh, that is currently available for pre-ordering. Uh, but definitely check it out. It's for a great cause. And uh, so let's continue on with the review. So for the review, joining me is also Tom from Jake and Tom Conquer the World. Hey, Tom. Hey, how's it going this week? It's not not too bad actually. Did I say the the name of the podcast correctly? Jake and Tom conquer the world. Yeah. Okay. All right. You know what? It didn't sound right at first. <laughs> it's a it's a bit of a mouthful. Looking back on it, you know, maybe we could have shortened it up a bit, but it's it's suiting us well enough. I like it. I like yeah. it. Yeah. I I remember when you guys were at the Drunken Dork, and um, when I made uh my first appearance on the show, I said Drunken Dork. It's uh it's singular. <laughs> and you're like, well, yes, it is. <laughs> so um, now this would be I'd be really interested to see if anybody is jumping in for the first time just to hear three and four, uh, which I should kind of throw in right away that we are going to be covering part three and the next credit kid on this episode. Um, but for those that did skip one and two, uh, talk a little bit about your show real quick here. All right. Uh, well, we are a pop culture based podcast. We focused mainly on movies, television shows, comic books. Uh, we occasionally have interviews with people in the comic book industry. Uh, and we also cover uh, a couple of comic book conventions here and there. 
we're kind of a we're kind of a uh, potpourri of geekdom. Yeah, that's a great explanation, actually. Um, what what's uh what's what's a episode you can kind of steer somebody towards if they are checking you out for the first time? Well, right now, uh, th- I'd say the one that I'm uh, kind of showing off is when we interviewed the uh, president and chief operating officer of Top Cow Comics. His name is Matt Hawkins. And we kind of got an insider point of view of the comic book industry, as well as tips and tricks on how to get into it yourself if you're interested in that. There we go. I, I think you mentioned that on our uh, Credit Kid 1 uh, review, mm-hmm. I think it was. And, and uh, kind of plug myself a little bit more. Make sure if you're interested in the comic book industry to keep an ear out for us because we've got a couple of really big interviews coming up. And I'm also going to be going out to uh, the Detroit area this weekend to cover the Motor City Comic Con, uh, complete with uh, press coverage and uh, as well as uh, like press conferences with, uh, oh, what's his name, uh, Michael Rooker. Oh, awesome. So yeah. by the time this releases, you will be in Detroit, I believe. So that's that's the plan anyway. Yes. Yeah. All right. So uh, again, we're going to be covering part three and the next Karate Kid. So essentially, um, part three and part four. Mm-hmm. This the the Karate Kid part three. This one came out June thirtieth of nineteen eighty nine. Uh, the other two movies that came out that same weekend: Spike Lee's Do the Right Thing and Great Balls of Fire with Dennis Quaid. You know what? I, I actually knew about Great Balls of Fire because after I watched this movie, I was kind of looking at uh, various reviews of it, and uh, that was the movie that Siskel and Ebert were talking about right after this one. Oh, okay. Um, the number one hit at the time was uh, Richard Marx's Satisfied. You know what? I'm willing to bet that if I had heard the song, I would recognize it, but I can't think of it off the top of my head. Yeah, I feel like I only know like three of his songs, and Satisfied's not one of them. That's all you need to know with Richard Marks. <laughs> they're all sad. I mean, they're great songs, but they're sad. Uh, this one was only uh, number one for a week, and so like the ones I, I know of his are usually a little bit longer. You yeah. Know, your, I'll be right here waiting, and uh, f- was it Young and Forever or Forever Young? One of those. I don't know. I haven't even thought about the name Richard Marks in <laughs> 20 years, probably. <laughs> yeah. Hey, nothing wrong with that unless you go no. karaoke. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So let's talk about The Karate Kid Part 3. Uh, returning uh, behind the lens was the director John G. Uh, Appleton and same writer Robert, Robert Mark uh, Kamen, who um, both directed and wrote uh, the first three movies. And returning cast members, uh, we got Ralph Macchio as Daniel LaRusso again. Pat Morita uh, returns as Mr. Miyagi. Uh, newcomers, we have uh, Jessica Andrews is played by Robin Lively. Uh, Thomas Ian Griffith played Mr. Terry Silver, who is um, buddies with John Kreese. Uh, Martin Cove returns to play him. Matt Barnes, played by Sean, I think is Cannon. Uh, I think I'm pronouncing it correctly. He is the, the bad boy of karate, uh, is what they talked about here. Now, his buddy Snake, uh, I, I guess I didn't get the sense that, well, I found this in the trivia, but Snake, the character of Snake, is actually Terry's son. Really? Yeah. Uh, there was somewhere that I read that he's actually, uh, it said Snake in quotations, and uh, last name was Silver. 
So I think that was supposed to be Cherry's son,、uh, but that's played by Jonathan Avildsen, which is the son of the director. Kind of interesting. And、uh, let's give a little love to、uh, Dennis, who had very little speaking role, played by William Christopher Ford.、Uh, he was the third,、um, you know, Cobra Kai member here.、Uh, do you kind of vaguely remember him? I know that there were a couple of them, but I. I just remember、uh, the guy, you know, the the bad boy of karate, and the other guy with the ridiculous necklace. <laughs> yeah, right. And then there was a third guy who.、Um, the reason I'm bringing him up because a friend of the show and、uh, previous guest、uh, Pialani, she's actually friends with、uh, William Christopher Ford, and she、oh, reached. Oh, really? To, yeah, she、um, she reached out to me and asked me if I wanted to、uh, Facebook meet him. And、uh, I, I said I didn't know when we were recording yet, so you know this actually would have been kind of cool, you know, had we,、uh, you know, planned it out, and maybe we could have, you know,、uh, got his story about working on. Because I, what I do know is that he did audition for the role of Matt Barnes, and、um, you know, they、uh, he obviously lost out to Sean Cannon, and then they liked him so much that they kept him on for this character of Dennis. Who,、um, yeah, has very little to say, but he's definitely in most scenes with Snake as well. Okay, that's actually, on one hand, that 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 would have been a really really cool opportunity, but on the other hand, I think it may have been awkward because of the way that I kind of view this film. Okay, <laughs> fair enough. <laughs> uh, uh, and I'm not sure how to view it. If you look at it as like a, a, a children's movie that's primarily aimed at like. Kids twelve and under, it's an okay movie. Yeah, it kind of is until like towards the end when they start start saying shit all over the movie.、I'm、yeah, like, wow, yeah, that's, that's true.、Oh, came out well, of nowhere. <laughs> well, that kind of blows that theory out of the water.、Um, or if you look at it as like a, a, a campy movie where you can tell that they're not taking themselves too seriously, and you can kind of roll with the punches, you can still have fun with it. Or if you think that they're really trying to do serious work here, it's There's a reason why this movie has a reputation than that it does. It does absolutely.、Uh, just a little bit about the budget here. It was、uh, estimated 12.5 million. It made about three times that back.、Um, so, I, I think、Not、that's bad. Yeah, it's yeah, it was a tiny、okay、little return on investment. Yeah, you know, and and you gotta remember, this is、uh, summer of '89, where just a few weeks before was Ghostbusters two.、Uh, Honey, I Shrunk the Kid just came out like the week before. So, but also this is a third movie that,、um, you know, I, I don't know if many people were really wanting a third installation of the Karate Kid at this point. Well, n- not only that, but I, I'm willing to bet that the studio had to have been disappointed considering the success that that second movie had. Absolutely, because didn't that second movie make almost a hundred million dollars back in the day? Oh, I think it was like a hundred twelve or a hundred fifteen million. Oh, oh wow, so、yeah. that was a huge drop off. Gross, actually, that was gross.、Um, yeah. Yeah, but still, still, it, it made quite a bit.、Uh, this movie also got nominated for five Razzies. I believe it.、Five、I、Razzies. absolutely believe that. Yeah, what kind of pained me was that、uh, Pat Morita was one of them for、uh, worst supporting actor. That、um, I, I'd say that he was probably the only saving grace in this movie. Yeah, I, he.、Uh, but you know, he had his moments. He had his moments where、uh, it wasn't quite working for me. But yeah, gosh. So worst picture,、uh, it got nominated for a Razzie. Worst actor, Ralph Macchio.、Uh, Pat Morita for worst supporting,、uh, worst director, and worst screenplay. 
So you all know the what? important stuff. <laughs> except for except for Pat Morita, and it, it, it's probably just because I like Pat Morita as an actor. Mm-hmm. I'd say that those were all well deserved and earned nominations, if not wins. Yeah, I feel the screenplay is a little harsh. I well, you know what? Mm. I do like the story, but the writing definitely. I I don't want to say it's lazy because there's definitely some foreshadowing and stuff like that. But well, I I I think that the story is kind of lacking because it's essentially just a uh, slightly remodified version of the first movie. It kind of is, yes. So I mean that that's really lazy. Yeah, well, and some of the things that were kind of written in as well, um, I don't know, was a little far-fetched, you know, like the whole bonsai tree deal where Mr. Miyagi uh, planted it, you know, in the Devil's Cauldron and all of that. That was a little, I don't know, it was a little, I don't want to say unbelievable because it, I don't know, maybe it is a, a real thing that somebody may do, but it just, it seemed a little out of character for him. He escapes Okinawa and and brings a bonsai tree and then you know uh plants it somewhere very far because it's gonna cost thousands of dollars i I don't think he did it because it cost thousands of dollars I think he did it because of the fact that it was pure and strong yeah I, I don't think I, I got the impression that the monetary value of it meant nothing to Miyagi okay it's just um it was just a little a little something for us, you know, because it's going to come come back later. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's a little piece from home, so so I do get it. Uh, I mean, there were some things to like. Uh, I'll, I'll be honest. I, I didn't... Uh, it, it wasn't as bad as I thought it was going to be. For me, I think the the villains were definitely uh, over the top. That's where I, I feel, you know, how you kind of said that this was maybe aimed towards a younger audience because mm-hmm. they were very cartoony, very, very cartoony. I had to look them up to find out if they were, I, I don't want to say the word real actors, but that's the only thing that I could think of because I, I thought maybe they had gotten some genuine martial artists to play the roles. And if that were the case, I could understand the performances because... You know, they're not really actors. They're just kind of stepping outside their comfort zone. But no, 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 they're actually real actors. Yeah. Um, at least, uh, Sean Cannon, who played, uh, Matt Barnes here. No, wait, not Mike Barnes? Barnes. Yeah. yeah. Um, Matt Barnes is a basketball player. <laughs> uh, but he, uh, I think I read in the trivia that he was a green belt at the time of his casting. So he definitely had some martial arts experience. Uh, now I, I didn't look up, uh, Terry Silver. Um, he was believable, you know, in some of his fight stuff, but his character was, uh, was really loud, you know, and I'm not talking about volume, just, uh, just very, very cartoony, you know, mm-hmm. like he's in a completely different movie. And if I'm not mistaken, didn't the credits say introducing Thomas Ian Griffith? I think his name is. Does, I, does I that... believe so. Yeah. So this, you know, was possibly his uh, debut. But um, you know, let's kind of get into it a little bit here. This third one, it kind of takes place a, a few months after uh, after the second movie because I, I think there was a line dropped where they had been gone for a total of nine months, and we do know that. Is that right? They were gone for a total of nine months. 
I, I believe so. Okay. So they were there for a while. They come back and, um, they, yeah, uh, I, I think they helped with the reconstruction of the village because they were saying how Mr. Miyagi's, uh, personal assets were depleted because they built a house for, I, I can't remember who, but you paid for it. Yes. Yeah, for her, uh, his, um, his old flame. So, mm-hmm. and then, so they returned, uh, to, uh, back home and Daniel's apartment is now being, is it renovated or did he, did the original, uh, it was being destroyed. It was being torn down to make okay. way for condominiums. Right. Because we got the, we got the old lady from the very first movie. Um, she tells Mr. Miyagi that he's pretty much out of a job now. And we got, uh, Crease. I forgot to mention Crease. We find out that basically after the events of the, uh, well, the beginning of the second movie, um, after the tournament, all of his students pretty much left him and he now has no more income. And then he goes to see Terry Silver, which is a, a close friend of his from, from the, uh, from the army who sends him to Tahiti to kind of just take a, take a breather. And he is gonna, I guess, take care of some business for him. Um, he's gonna, put Mr. Miyagi and Daniel through some physical and emotional pain uh, in, in revenge. So this is a story of Kreese's revenge, essentially. Yeah, um, I just thought it was, I don't know, I, I didn't buy that a multimillionaire businessman would be doing something like this, because you, you'd figure that he would... First of all, I mean, he's he's putting all of his business interests aside in order to pick away at two civilians. Wouldn't his advice... I mean, he, he's literally being followed by his advisor saying, my sole business is revenge. Wouldn't they say, wait a second, you, you've got all these other things that you got to take care of. you got people's jobs online. You have your own money to worry about. Why don't you just let bygones be got bygones? Yeah, and not only that, he, he, um, they really try to sell us on how evil this guy is. He talks about how he's always being indicted. Um, he buys off, uh, jury members and, and mm-hmm. the DA <laughs> and all of this. So he is supposed to be some kind of big <laughs> criminal, like a sleazeball here. Yeah. Uh, his performance remind, and, uh, for those of you who don't know, I, I occasionally uh, work on a podcast called Chair Shots and Cheap Pops, which is a, a wrestling-based pro, uh, podcast. He reminded me of this character, uh, Paul E. Dangerously. Uh, you might know him as Paulie, uh, Paul Heyman. He went on to uh, found ECW. Back in the day, he was Paulie Dangerously. And his gimmick was the Psycho Yuppie. And that's all I could think about when he's talking into that big brick cell phone, being chauffeured around, wearing thousand dollar suits. It's like, oh my god, it, it's the psycho yuppie with karate. Yeah, it. I don't know that character, but I believe you. But uh, <laughs> see, for me, like you know, in the late eighties or early nineties, the the slick hair, it, you know, tells you that they are uh, bad guys. And the know, ponytail. And the ponytail. Um, cause even Mike Barnes has, uh, his, his hair slicked, but you know, his hair is shorter, but, um, yeah, they recruit this guy to, to it's, well, here, okay. Here's the thing. What didn't work for me was that we get to see 
the dealings, you know, between Crease and, and Barnes. Like we get to see the plan, you know, behind the scenes. I would have preferred it be a reveal, you know, because you got Barnes playing a role. You got Crease that come, comes back later. This is his revenge, though. He's pretty much absent for like two thirds of the movie. We didn't need to know that Silver was this multimillionaire. Uh, friend of Crease. Like, I think that would have been a great reveal later when we find out that all this time that he is a friend of Crease's. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So, I mean, that's one thing that is kind of lacking from the previous uh, movies is uh, some sort of reveal. I guess the two didn't really quite have one, but the, the spirit of a Karate Kid movie, I, I think, was definitely lost in this one. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I don't know. This... There wasn't a lot about this movie that I could really take seriously. I mean, even the the special effects, like when uh, Daniel decides that he's going to uproot that bonsai tree that Mr. Miyagi got, mm-hmm. and he's rappelling down the side of that cliff, and you could tell that what they did is they just had him standing in front of a blue screen, and they shot it kind of like a, another variation of the old 1966 Batman where they're just standing and kind of crouching. And <laughs> yeah. it just looked so bad. Yeah, I I didn't take it as a blue screen. I thought it was just, um, you know... Uh, like a, a rear projector type thing or... Yeah, something like that. And then they were just like on a soundstage, you know, with the fake uh, foliage and, and all of that. Mm-hmm. Uh, because it sounded very echoey, which I guess, I don't know, in, in a cauldron or whatever it's called, like, I, I feel like it, it would be echoey. But uh, what, what about this uh, new, not a love interest, actually. They uh, they made this Jessica a little bit different. I guess the, behind the scenes here, Ralph Macchio was actually married at the time, and he asked, asked the filmmakers to um, make the relationship platonic so that way his wife wouldn't get jealous. That's bizarre. It, it kind of is because, like, it's almost like what's the point of having her then? Yeah, she was kind of a useless character. A, a little bit, Um you know, and uh, the character here is played by uh, Robin Lively. Now, she uh, just a few months prior to this movie's release, she was in the the movie Teen uh, Teen Witch, which you know around that time they were kind of um, you know making movies like this, like you know uh, Teen Wolf came out just a few years previously. Uh, two years before was Teen Wolf Two, so Teen Witch came out with Robin Lively, and now she it makes an appearance in this movie. Um, her character just, it didn't work for me because I felt like she didn't, she wasn't like the catalyst for anything. You know, uh, there's, there's a bit of a, I wouldn't call it a breakup, but Daniel and Mr. Miyagi, they kind of, you know, they have a big fight in this movie and it's not like Robin's idea, not Robin, uh, Jessica's idea to like for him to go and make up or anything. Daniel makes that decision on his own. So, yeah. I mean, she was really there to make pottery. For their bonsai trees. Well, I think she was also there to kind of be either a witness to Daniel. Because uh, one thing that we didn't mention is that uh, Silver, Terry Silver, actually seduces Daniel to the dark side of karate and becomes his new sensei. And then he goes overboard as far as violence. So I think she's kind of there to be like a reflecting uh, point for Daniel. But she's also there to kind of uh, up the stakes a little bit because we were mentioning that cauldron scene and they kind of vaguely threatened uh, some very unpleasant things to her because they, Twice. Were, they were saying 
if you think what we're going to do to you is bad, just imagine what we're going to do to her. And it's like, right. And now that I'm thinking about it, yeah, this is not a kid's movie at all. Yeah. If, if they're going to be implying that, that's not a kid's movie. No, it's not. And I think this is still PG. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's the eighties for you folks. It, it, it kind of is. Um, and, uh, you know, just like Crease, uh, Silver himself is also, uh, kind of prejudiced. I mean, let's just say it, right? Racist. Yeah. Um, against yeah. Asian. That was kind of, I, I get it. He's the villain, but it was just kind of another strike against my theory that it was for a, uh, a children's audience. Here's another, uh, fun trivia. Apparently the, the actor who played, uh, Silver was the same age as, uh, Ralph Macchio at the time. Actually. <laughs> actually I, I did look this up. He was one year younger than Ralph younger. Macchio. <laughs> yeah. That just goes to show you what a baby face Ralph Macchio still has. Right. Absolutely. And so I, I find that very interesting. It's kind of funny. Mm-hmm. Now, uh, I'm trying to think of any silver lining in this, in this movie. Well, let's see. Um, the score was good. The score, well, Bill Conti returns. Yeah. Uh, matter of fact, I think he scored the, the next credit kit as well. Um, now what, what did you do? Okay. So the, 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 the plot here, Daniel wants to defend his title, which in, um, there's been some amendments to the rules where the champion now only needs to only fight the final fight and not go through the tournament again. Um, so Daniel wants to do this. Mr. Miyagi, you know, objects to it because he doesn't feel the need. Well, he, Mr. Miyagi has always been, uh, of the opinion that you only fight to defend honor and all of that, not for tournaments and plastic and metal trophies. And so Silver takes him, uh, Daniel under his wing and, you know, like you said, uh, seduces him to the dark side. And what did you think about like Mr. Miyagi's, um, uh, refusing to to train him you know what um do you think it was earned like you know when he does decide to do it because i felt like daniel being bullied again and uh, kind of being forced to uh defend his title you know by the bad kids here yeah i, I thought that would should, i'm willing to bet enough. that if daniel went to the judges or at least the promoters of this tournament and said that hey i'm being forced into this against my will uh, I, I'm willing to bet that chances are they would sort it out. They would probably bar Cobra Kai from that tournament forever, especially because, uh, the, the membership dues had, uh, fallen, had lapsed. Uh, chances are they would have gotten the police in, uh, involved. Uh, I think this, I think I might have to agree with Miyagi on this one. Yeah. Okay. Now, I thought it was, um, I thought it was a little weird that, like, uh, Daniel got the application and kept on asking, uh, Mr. Miyagi to sign it. But ultimately, it just needed his anyway. Because, you know, when they were being pulled up from the Devil's Cauldron, he signs the paper and that's it. They kind of leave him alone so that way he can kind of train and go to the tournament. Mm-hmm. Now, what did you think about the, uh, the training montages or at least the training sessions between, uh, S- Terry Silver and Daniel? I, I kind of liked the setup of it. Um, it wasn't like fun to watch or anything. Obviously it's not your, you know, Miyagi type of uh, training technique. It's definitely trying to inflict pain on Daniel. Uh, I like how Mr. Silver 
would um, would demonstrate, you know, or do this to the punching bag, do this and do that. And before Daniel tries to do it, he'll Silver will turn him around like, all right, do it to these boards and these beams. <laughs> and Daniel will just turn around and be like, well, but, you know, those are softer. <laughs> uh, so I like that. That happened twice. And I actually got a bit of a chuckle because I thought it was a nice touch. But, I mean, I obviously knew where it was leading, leading to. So I was fine with it. Um, it's just another one of those things where like this movie, Mr. Miyagi teaches him yet again, a new thing, right? The first one was the train, uh, the crane kick. The second movie was this breathing technique. And now this is a, uh, the kata, which I feel should have been like one of the basics, you know, um, you think so. Yeah. That you would have learned it in the first at the, you know, the latest, the second movie, but this is ultimately what he uses to confuse Barnes. You know, at the very last bit. I could see why, because if I'm in a fighting tournament and my opponent is looking like he's doing a robot dance, that would confuse me. <laughs> yeah, but I felt like, uh, I, I didn't quite buy it. You know, I, I, I felt like, you know, this, uh, this Barnes character, he's very aggressive. Like, uh, I would have, I, I think he was just caught off, way, uh, off guard way too easily. Well, I, I think ultimately, I think this movie really did a lot to undermine Daniel as a character because it kind of presented him as being not too bright, very easily led, very gullible because, I mean, he is willingly going along when it comes to a teacher instructing him to literally blind his opponent, to break the, you know, opponent's legs, to, uh, use his, uh, you know, ribs to puncture the guy's lungs. And it's like, wait a second. You know for a fact that you can't use that in the, a, a tournament. What what are you doing? Shouldn't right. that be warning signs that, hey, this guy is up to no good? Not to mention the fact that after a while, all these bad things that are happening, Terry Silver just happens to be there. Yeah, you know, come absolutely. On. Just, just like the scene where Daniel was doing kata in, in the backyard. You know, uh, we forgot to mention that he kind of moved in with Mr. Miyagi. Well, I guess we learned that in the second movie. Yeah. Um. There, yeah, there was definitely some things I uh, kind of have forgotten that that happened in here. What? Okay, so what do you think about uh, the the fight between Mister Miyagi and and Daniel? I I think that's where where Pat Morita is really at his best is when he's very emotional and stuff because he says a lot without even saying anything at all. Um, I find it very heartbreaking the 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 one scene where Daniel like kind of you know shuts the door in his face. And, uh, Mr. Miyagi says something to the effect of like, uh, you know, you, you make my heart empty or something. Yeah. I, I hope you see you. I hope you see your way through this confusion soon. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It was a, that was a great line. Part of me kind of wishes Miyagi would just unleash on him. You know, not, not necessarily, you know, beat him up or anything like that, but just yell at him and try to get him to see sense in one way or the other. Right. Because this entire movie, Daniel is being kind of stupid. He's literally yeah. throwing his entire education away. He is being easily manipulated and led by a complete stranger. Uh, he's stealing from Mr. Miyagi. Right. Uh, this, uh, man, Daniel's not a good guy at all. He, he's, he's a big jerk in this one. Mm-hmm. Um, it, that, that was one of my big annoyances. What, and I could see why Ralph Macchio would have, you know, been nominated 
for Razzie for uh, worst actor. But yeah, he. I mean, that's that's the way his character was written. It was it was pretty bad. He was he was kind of a little shit in this movie. Um, you know, he's seventeen years old, and man, yeah, I just I hated the way he treated Mr. Miyagi. You know, after all this time, he. Yeah, he, it was his fault, you know, that the bonsai tree ended up getting split. Um, he just had to apologize throughout the entire movie for everything that he did. Uh, before we go any further, I just want to bring it up before I forget, but what do you think of how they kind of wrote Kumiko's character out? It reminded me, uh, basically it was a less offensive version of the way they wrote out Alley with an I. Right. You know, it was just kind of, briefly mentioned and never brought up again. You know, where right. for the second time, this girl that he was deeply in love with, it eh, just happens to disappear in between sequels. It it does, and I, I, I would call it insulting. Um, I mean, saying that it's insulting would be a little, a little severe, but, uh, it's, it's kind of, it's close to that because from what we've seen in part two, they do this very sacred ritual, you know, very old uh, Okinawan uh, tradition here to to show their love for each other. But a very good opportunity for Kumiko to go work at a dance company comes yeah. up and then yeah. she, her and Daniel, you know, split up. So I, I think that could have um, been written a little bit better. I, I don't know. Yeah, it, it I'm could sure they have been, get the actress, but it or... was nowhere near as offensive as what they did with Elizabeth Shue's character. Right, <laughs> they really, they really bagged her character. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know what, what else is there to talk about. Uh, we get to see some more fighting from Mr. Miyagi. I know he keeps saying that he doesn't like it, but um, you know he saves Daniel like two, two or three times in this one. Yeah, um, they. Uh, that was another thing. I mean, Daniel ended up, ended up getting the uh, bonsai shop trashed. Right. Uh, God, Daniel's such a shit. <laughs> God, <laughs> yeah, yeah, we were, man. I don't know. I'm still trying to find some <laughs> some positive things about this one. Oh, lordy lord. Okay. Um. Well, okay. So once we do get to the tournament, it's very short. I it mean, is. It's like the last, it's the very last 10 minutes. I mean, they did write in that he only needed to show up for the very last fight to uh to defend his title. And you know what? If I were the other fighters in that tournament, I'd be kind of ticked off at that. You know, yeah. if they're giving the champion that much of a cakewalk, you know, that's not fair to them. No, it's not. And obviously it's just, you know, a plot device. Yeah. Now, one bit of trivia that I found out when I was uh doing a little bit of research, the referee in that tournament is the fight choreographer for all of the Karate Kid movies. Yep, I did know that. Yeah, Pat Johnson. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I thought that was uh, kind of neat. He He's the one that called and left a message at the very beginning of the movie. Oh, really? Yeah, to uh, Kreese. Uh, he, he it was a it was a voice message that Kreese was listening to on his answering machine. Yeah, where, was it the one where they were saying that uh, his uh, membership dues had lapsed for the tournament? Yeah, all of that. Yep. Yeah, he even says his own his own name too. You know, this is Pat Johnson from whatever. Yeah. And I was like, ah, oh, it's a referee. <laughs> now, what did you speaking of Chris, What did you think of Martin Cove's performance? He was not good. Um, I I mean the scene the the moment specifically that like stands out where I'm just like ugh was uh, at the very end of the movie where like the um the audience is like the audience the crowd is like kind of throwing t-shirts back at them you know the Cobra Kai t-shirts and he like stands up and like you know 
does this backhand thing as if he's about to slap somebody like that's gonna stop anybody from- well he has a his he has a known history for hitting kids so that's within character the 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 moment that really stood up for me was when they revealed to daniel that you know Cree and silver were in it together he he jumps out from uh behind a corner and he just has this wild look on his face like ah like he was some kind of universal monster coming after daniel yeah, I, I, for me, like, I actually kind of found that funny just because I like, did. You know, I, I, there were moments <laughs> where I genuinely laughed out loud at right. the villains where it's like, again, I was, maybe if I look at this as a, a campy movie, you know, I bet you anything, and this is probably not a good thing to say on a personal level. Uh-huh. If I had a shot and a beer before watching this movie with the right group of friends, this might be a fun movie to kind of tear right. apart. <laughs> that there's the silver right. lining yeah and i'm just trying to go easy on it because i love the franchise well at least the first two uh movies <laughs> you know what i i didn't mind the second one i love the first one as far as i'm concerned the first one is a classic but this one um i can't really recommend yeah yeah it's it's uh it's 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 a tough watch it is it is what what kind of score would you give it Score. Well, let's see here. Um, on a scale of 10, I would probably, the villains really ruin it for me. They really do. And, and Daniel is quite the little shit in this movie. <laughs> like, he is really, really annoying. I do like Jessica, but she's not even a love interest. Um, she's hardly even a thing, plot device. Right. No, really. Um, and, you know, they, they kind of work in, you know, the whole, uh, you know, uh, mountain climbing deal too, that that's something that she does do. And it was just very convenient that, you know, she has that experience and she helps him, you know, get down to the bonsai tree. Um, but there's one scene I want to touch on real quick before we kind of wrap up with the, uh, Karate Kid part three, but the fight, uh, um, the club scene, which every Karate Kid movie has a dance scene. And so Daniel and Jessica go, uh, go dancing and Daniel hits, um, you know, a guy right in the nose. That's Gabriel Jarrett. Uh, what I'm going to play after we review part three is, uh, just a little snippet from my interview with him when, uh, we discussed real genius. He talked a little bit about Karate Kid three. So I'll, I'll play that for the listeners too. Oh, really? Just to... That's the same guy. Yeah. It's the same guy from, from real genius. I did not oh, recognize yeah. him. That... <laughs> Go back and watch oh, it. Oh my yeah. God. Yeah, he talks about how he was uh, sick as a dog that day, and he was trying to do everything he can because he didn't want to lose that, uh, you know, that that spot there. But um, yeah, I'll, I'll play a snippet of it, uh, of his interview for that. Yeah. Um, but uh, as far as a scale of one to ten, I don't know. I'd say I'd say I, again, I'm pretty generous, but I'm going with a four, a four out of ten. You know what? The fact that the the villains were laughable. One character was completely useless. The protagonist was downright dislikable. Mm-hmm. Miyagi was pretty good again. I got to give this a two, maybe a two and a half out of ten. Okay. Um, let's see here. Rotten Tomatoes gave it a 16%. And IMDb had it at a f- mm, five. I would probably so, agree more with Rotten Tomatoes on this one. Rotten Tomatoes 16. Ooh, yeah. yeah. Uh, it, it was definitely closer to you. Um, 
Yeah, I think I gave it lower than IMDb. So, so uh, yeah, five I think is too much. So if I had to agree with one of those, yeesh, yeah, I'd go with the Rotten Tomato score. Yeah. So would I watch it again? Probably not. Uh, if it's on TV, if there's nothing else on, maybe I just have it on in the background. But that's just, you know, the, the score is still kind of there. Uh, Mr. Miyagi, you know, is still kind of nice to watch. But, uh, the, there was one moment that I still did get a chuckle and I knew it was coming. It's when Daniel goes to him and says, Oh, hey, Mr. Miyagi, can you teach me how to sweep? He's like, Oh, sure. Here, I'll be right back. <laughs> First, you hold a broom like this, <laughs> you know, so oh, I like that. There the, was one the, thing that occurred to me when I was watching this. The reason why Terry Silver was such a formidable, formidable, uh, adversary is because A, he's really good at martial arts. B, he's very rich. Mm-hmm. Why didn't they get, uh, was his name Sato? Or, oh, Sato, yeah. Why didn't they call him up, say, hey, you know how, we, you know, we patched things up and I kind of saved your life? I could use right. a favor. Yeah. Why didn't they kind of have those two go at it? Uh, cause they're not in Hawaii anymore. <laughs> I, I'm sure he <laughs> so could afford they- a plane ticket. <laughs> Well, uh, you, you know, I'm talking about the actor. Yeah. You yeah. Know, they, they were, <laughs> cause they were filming on Oahu. I, I'm, that's what I'm going to say. But, uh, yeah, I, I would have liked that. That probably could have been better. Like, hey, you know, bring in ties from part two. Exactly. Oh, speaking of, uh, uh, plane tickets, I also laughed when at the very beginning, Silver is sending Cree off to Tahiti. He's dropping him off at the airport. Kree's walking into the airport. Daniel and Miyagi are walking out at the exact same time. They pass each other, and they don't even notice right. it. It's like, come, what? Really? Yeah. Yeah, that was a little... I know. Yeah, I noticed that, too. <laughs> uh, hmm. I I wanted to like this movie just because, again, <laughs> I love that first movie. And that I, I will sing the praises of that movie to my dying day. As flawed as the second one is, in my opinion, I still think it's, by and large, mostly enjoyable. This one, oh, this was bad. <laughs> this was really bad. I'm sorry. No, don't, don't be sorry. I mean, we we knew it wasn't good, especially when I said uh, the Blu-ray, you know, only included one and two. <laughs> <laughs> wow. So, you got anything else uh, to add for this one? I, I think I've said my piece. All right, so uh, at this point, I'll go ahead and play that little snippet, and this uh, concludes our uh, review for part three. Um, I do see that you did have a small uh, role in Karate Kid Three, uh, where I did. yeah, yeah, it's the the club scene where um, you kind of walk up to Daniel and he he hits you in the face. Well, what was the yeah. filming of that like, and how how did you uh, get into yeah, getting that role? Ah, uh, yes, you have brought up my my most challenging day of shooting ever. Oh, wow. Um, yes, man. Well, it's because I don't get sick often, but it's funny. I, I'm just getting over a cold right now. Um, but I was deathly ill for the shoot. And, uh, you know, being that uh, it was Karate Kid 3, it was one of my favorite things. I'm not going to give up the role. And they're not going to they're not going to reschedule for me. Um, so I powered through the day and, and what I didn't realize, I mean, I knew I had to do my own stunts, um, because of the angle. They, they told me that, you know, okay, I'm going to go sliding across the floor. There's going to be no pads. You're going to do your own stunts. Okay. Um, 
so it ended up being an 18-hour shoot day, which is great, and is, is, it, that would be taxing. I mean, I've done, I've done 18 hours since then, but not when I'm running a 103-degree fever uh, and like it was, I didn't have a cold. I was, I had the flu or so I, I was sick. And so I, I showed up on set feeling like a truck hit me and I must've hit that dance floor about 50 times. And I had, I had pads on my elbows and shoulders and, and you have to keep hitting the, the same spot every time because, you know, you got to match, um, between takes. When I, it actually started at the end of the shoot day. At the end of the that 18th hour, I went, got home. I took, I took my my clothes off before I went to bed, and it had already started started turning uh, black and blue. And, and I mean, a deep deep purple was in there too. I mean, it was just the whole side of my body was looking like a blood clot waiting to happen. Oh wow! Oh, it was. I really. I, I was like, oh my god, and. I forget how old I was. I think I was 18. Um, but it was, it, it, you know, I'm supposed to be resilient at that age. Um, and granted, I was. But, you know, when you're coughing and hacking and snotting and, and all of this stuff, and then, you know, people are diving in with Kleenex and makeup to make you look good, you know, and I have to come off looking like, uh, you know, some, uh, you know, cocksure guy, you know, just like being an asshole to the girl and da 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 and uh and which i i'm amazed that somehow i was able to pull it off and still able to hit that dance floor as many times as i did uh, that was probably the hardest day of shooting physically and it was it was no cakewalk mentally either now did did you uh get to hang out with uh Ralph Macho at all or was it like a strictly professional no we had I mean, we shot the whole, my whole sequence was done in a day, one, one day, but we did hang out for lunch and, and, uh, I ran into him at some publicity event a few years ago and, um, you know, he was just, he could not have been nicer. Um, and being that I was just, uh, on it for a day, he could have easily been dismissive and ignored me and what have you, but. But he really helped me get through the day. He also knew I was sick, and and I think I I think I pulled a little bit of the sympathy card from him and Pat Morita. <laughs> yeah, they were they they really helped me out uh, that day, and in, in that they didn't let me get hazed too much. I think that you know they kept a lot of the normal hazing that would go on with somebody. I think they kept kept the, the wolves at bay. Hello, this is William. Hey, uh, Sensei Ford, or Sensei William Christopher Ford. <laughs> this is Peter, yeah, Pialani's friend. Hey, Peter, how you doing? Doing good. How are you doing today? I'm doing great. Thanks so much. Yeah, well, well, thank you for speaking with me. Um, did I catch you at a good time? Yeah, actually, uh, it's, a, it's a very good time, so no worries. <laughs> okay, uh, let's start with um, 
with the auditioning process, uh, from what I read, you actually went into audition for the Mike Barnes character? Well, um, I was sleeping in uh, one Saturday morning. Uh, at that time, I was pursuing acting. I was just really starting out, not even ha- not even having my SAG card yet. And um, <laughs> my buddy, Rich Gansino, he was, he's been my buddy since the late 80s. Um, he's now my teaching assistant, but... He calls me up and goes, hey, man, what are you doing? We, we got to go to this audition. And what are you talking about? And he says, oh, they're, they're looking for uh, the new villain for the new Karate Kid movie. And so he got me out of bed, drove me down to Burbank. And uh, lo and behold, or I don't know, I, I like to say somewhere between 15, 15 and 500 and 1500 um, uh, in line. And... It was like, oh man, <laughs> we got in this line and it was very ethnically diverse and it was, you know, people of all uh, shapes and sizes and ethnicities. And we get in this line and we just go, okay, well, here we are and let's let's see what happens. So, um, interestingly enough, uh, Sensei Butch Tokisala was in the line too. Um and our sensei, Richard Robago, who actually, um, this is the fourth anniversary of his passing today. Mm. Uh, he was uh, across the street uh, with, uh, with Butch's dad and some of the other parents who brought their boys to come audition. And uh, so we're waiting. Uh, pretty soon, John Alvelson, the director, John G. Alvelson, who also directed Rocky and the Karate Kid, you know, the first Karate Kid, of course. And, right. you know, he's... He's quite a filmmaker. He comes out with his cameraman and they start going down the line. And it's a pretty quick process. They're like, okay, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. And we're not, so we're going, oh man, you know, there's no chance. And um, he uh, he kind of stops in front of me. They're, they're still, you know, quite a few feet away. And I don't even want to make eye contact with Mr. Avelson. And my buddy Rich is like elbowing me going, dude, 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 they're coming over here. Dude, dude. <laughs> <laughs> And uh, finally, John comes up to me and he says, uh, hey, what's your name? And uh, at that point in time, I was still Christopher Paul Ford. Um, I, drew, I changed my name to William Christopher Ford um, after my father passed because his name was William. So it was kind of, um, you know, um, an homage to him. But mm-hmm. also, I, I never liked the name Paul. And I've always wanted to be a William. <laughs> <laughs> That's the story behind that. So um, I give him a picture and resume. We talk a little bit. And he says, how old are you? And at the time, I was 22, I believe. And he says, well, you look a little old to be 18 or 17. And we kind of need you to look like you, you know, you have it. Uh, you know, you, you still might be in high school. And I said, oh, really? Okay, no problem. But I was just happy that he stopped and talked to me. So we went home and that was that. And... About a week later, I got a phone call from Carol Jones, the late Carol Jones, who, who used to cast all of his projects. And uh, she said, oh, we want you to read for the part of Mike Barnes because we haven't really found that, that actor yet. So I got a chance to read for Carol. I went down there. I gave, probably gave one of the worst readings ever because at that point in time, I hadn't studied acting. I was just, you know, going off of what I saw in movies and I thought I could wing it. Right. <laughs> It was just awful, and but she was very nice, and that was that. And that's when I was like, well, I think we're done. I don't think that I'm going to get called back. So um, 
like a day before it's actually supposed to start production. And I, I don't know how I remember all this. It was something like December 4th. And I knew that they were <laughs> going to start production on December 5th. So I'm just got moping around. And I said, hey, you know, I'm going to go out for a run. And when I get back, you know, this is before cell phones. They, they, I get this message on my answering machine. And it's like, oh, we'd like you to come down. And we cast the part of Mike Barnes. But we want you to come down and read for, um, well, we just want you to meet John and... Um, his stunt coordinator, Pat Johnson, they're looking for somebody to play one of the Cobra Kai bad boys, you know, somebody who can do martial arts. And I go down there, I meet with Pat Johnson. Um, Pat Johnson was also, I don't know if you know this, I'm sure you do, but in Enter mm-hmm. the Dragon, he's the guy that says, it's the dough, Roper, we got to break something. So, mm-hmm. And uh, Pat was there, um, very nice to me. And he says, yeah, you look fine. We just got to get John's approval. Um Fumio Demura was there, who was the stunt double for Mr. Miyagi, and I had had um, uh, a friendship with him. And he was like, "Hey, what you doing here?" And I said, <laughs> "Oh, you know, uh, I got called in." And you know, he goes, "Oh, okay." And um, finally, John Appleton comes out, and he looks at me and he says, "Well, you look young enough." And I'm thinking, "Phew," because you didn't think you didn't think right, that. Right. Right. So, <laughs> but they were in a pinch, and I think they really needed somebody to, to you know to work the show. And uh, Fumio says to John, he says, Hey, John, this kid okay. <laughs> so they kind of look at each other and it's like, well, if it's good enough for the demo, it's good enough for me. And that's when they said, okay, let's get him a side card and let's bring him on. And uh, that's, that's kind of how I, uh, how I, I got, got into that movie. And I was really calm on the outside, but I was doing backflips and, you know, doing the happy dance on the inside because it was, it was, you know, for me it was, it was huge. It was the biggest thing I'd ever done, and um, I got my my union card out of it, so that was pretty cool. That that is pretty cool because I mean, this is the third movie. the The second one was a huge hit in the box office, um, so yeah. it must have been a lot of pressure. But um, I thought it was interesting. You you mentioned that uh, your friend said, "Hey, let's let's go." try out for this uh karate kid audition nowadays they don't even announce things like that they actually try to uh you know give like a fake name of the of the movie because they don't want it being leaked and stuff so yeah kind of the signs of the times very interesting well this this was pre-internet this was pre um you know pre-leaking and hacking tmc and and all that yeah You know, so uh, it was it was a different era. And back then, everything, you know, headshots were black and white and they were film. And, you know, there was no digital technology. So things changed, have changed quite a bit, quite a bit. And uh, and, and I think it's for the better for the most part, you know. But, um, yeah, that was, that was how it was back in the day, you know. And sometimes you get lucky. So after you were casted as the um, the character Dennis, um, as one of the um, the Cobra Kai bad boys, as you call it, was there any like uh, pressure, or were you nervous? What what was that like being casted in this uh, really big franchise? It was kind of surreal. You know, you're looking around and you're going, "Oh my God, that's Ralph Macchio! Oh my God, it's Pat Maria!" You know, and I'm just the guy who just kind of grew up, you know, being on the sidelines, going, "Wow." you know and now i get to be a part of this team that was really a surreal experience um everybody was really nice to me um you know you know interestingly enough um here's how i got the name dennis as a character um john alvelson's son played um character named snake Mm -hmm. and i played dennis 
And basically he said, okay, guys, you guys are the thugs. Come up with your names. And I was like, um, I don't know. I was I just, what popped into my head was Dennis the Menace. So I said, okay, I guess my name is Dennis. And um, John Alvelson Jr. said, I'll be Snake. <laughs> oh, well, so he chose his own name. Okay. Yeah, so it was Snake and Dennis. And I'm like going, you know, thinking back at it now, I'm like, why did I pick Dennis? I gotta pick something cool, you know? And I, and But that's what I came up with, you know? I couldn't think of anything else. So uh, that that's how that character came about. I think Dennis is a and, good name. Um, I mean, if you well, think back to the first movie, you had like Tommy and, you know, you had some, some regular regular names. Snake was a little sure weird. Enough. Like watching the movie, I was like, why is this kid named Snake? <laughs> well, um, yeah, yeah. It was interesting because um, Sean Kanan, who I still keep in touch with, he um, he's actually been the coolest guy of all. You know, uh, okay. when I first met him, he, he was nice to me. And... You know, when he when he was first starting out, you know, I think that he kind of rubbed some people the wrong way. He was arrogant and he was cocky. You know, he um, he he was a nice enough guy, but you know, I think some people thought oh, this, this guy is just you know he thinks he's all that. But he was always nice to me. He was always really cool to me. And years later, I was still able to. Uh, keep in touch with him and run into him. And he's always been there for me. Um, he, he wrote the forward to a book called the beginner's mind project, which I'll talk about later on, which is our fundraiser for St. Jude children's hospital. And I asked him to do it and he was like, I'd be happy to do it. And he did it. And, um, so the bad boy of karate is really one of the nicest guys ever. <laughs> That's awesome. I mean, uh, I, I think I read that, um, when he was auditioning, just to make an impression on the director, he like uh, kind of cornered Ralph Macchio or something. Or I, I don't know how true that is. It's just one of those things you read online. You don't know if it's actually true. Well, I, you know, I'm not sure about that, to be honest with you, Peter. But I do know that they were considering John Avelson Jr., Jonathan Avelson, for the role of Mike Barnes. And I have seen the audition tape for that. And he really kind of gets into Ralph Macchio's face. And Ralph looks like he's kind of intimidated. Um, <laughs> so I don't, I don't know if that was the same with, um, with Sean Kanan, but, um, you know, ultimately it, uh, you know, ultimately Sean got the role and, and Jonathan played snake. Uh, interestingly enough, um, Sean wasn't the first pick. It was some kid named Daryl and he was this really, really good looking blonde kid. He looked like a surfer kid mm -hmm. and he had no experience whatsoever. And I think they tried working with him with an acting coach and it just wasn't working. So they actually ended up pulling in Sean who had more training, you know, and Sean was um, a student of Shitoryu Karate under one of Sensei Demarest students. So he had some, some ends as well, but you know, he, he, he had the acting, the acting chops and he was athletic enough. Uh, I think at that time he was a green belt uh, to pull off the moves. So um, that's a little insight uh, behind behind the the, uh, the initial casting. Oh, awesome. Um, so what was it like uh, meeting Ralph Macchio and Pat Morita? Uh, like, um, how long into production did you meet them, or what was that like? I met Ralph Macchio the first day. He was there, and uh, he was like, hey, how you doing? I'm Ralph. And I'm like, uh, yeah, I know. <laughs> <laughs> 
And he was really, really cool. Um, you know, he's a little bit on the shy side. Um, he's kind of more of a quiet guy. But, you know, if you want to talk to him about acting or, or you know, things like that, actors he likes, he was really open about that. Um, cool guy, but kind of private, you know, but but nice guy. You know, I always thought he was down to earth. In fact, um, he was the guy responsible for me getting my, my, my one line in the movie where I say, you take off. And um, the reason for that was, you know, we we're rehearsing this scene and, um, you know, it's in the bonsai shop and I'm supposed to push him and he pushes me back and he throws me into the, um, the, um, the doors. The, 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 I think it was the, the, I can't even Table think of them, or the, the cubby. Or... Yeah. It was like these cubbies that shelving, right. And he says to John Alvison, he goes, Hey, can you give him a line or something? Cause I, I don't feel threatened enough. I need to, I need to have a little bit of motivation. And John goes, okay. Um, then you say about you take off. And I went, <laughs> okay. And it was kind of cool. I mean, you know, it, I, I would have gotten, I was already in, you know, I, I got my union card regardless. I didn't need the line to, to get into SAG. But it was just kind of cool that not only did my character get a name, but he had a line. And that made me really, really happy. So I'm always thankful to Ralph for doing that for me. So the scene that you're speaking of, it, um, th there's definitely a fight between you and Ralph. Uh, are you guys <laughs> both kind of doing your own stunts? Um, what, what was the, um, you know, the choreography like in, in filming that scene? Okay, well... Um, Ralph actually did the move. He actually did the move where he knees me and he throws me into the shelving. And we we choreographed it a little bit. And when he did it the first time and we filmed it, I actually hit my forehead on the edge of the shelving. Mm. <laughs> I was supposed to hit the top of it and it was supposed to collapse down. So they um, they took a look at me and I was like, oh, that was that kind of hurt. So they... They they put makeup over my uh, my scrape, and then when we did it again, we got it. But uh, he definitely did his own stunt on that one, and and you know I was the guy that you know gets thrown into the shelving. And interestingly enough, you know it, it has been said uh, that you know Ralph is not a trained martial artist, and his character of Daniel San is a very peaceful guy. Um, he he's not necessarily this badass fighter you know he wins in the tournaments and you know he was able to be chosen in karate uh, kid 2 uh yuji okamoto's character but usually he takes a beating in the street so what does that say about my character's ability if i'm one of the few characters that actually gets beat up by ralph in the street in the street right my my level of martial arts in that world must be really bad right yeah, yeah, yeah. I never thought about it that way. <laughs> so that's the running joke. It's like, yeah, my, you know, I'm, you know, I, I'm one of the people that actually got beaten up by Daniel San, you know, and not in a tournament. That's kind of my claim to fame. Well, to be fair, you were def uh, you were a new recruit to the Cobra Kai too, though. Yeah, I, I think so. You know, I think, um, you know, my my thing was I was a trainer and all this stuff. You know, and, and you know, you can make up whatever you know mythology or history you want <laughs> behind it. You know, it, it, it was. Uh, you know, it, it, it's, it's interesting, but uh, yeah, he, he got me good that day, and uh, and I was I was happy to take the fall for him. Now, uh, you you mentioned uh, Ralph not being a, a trained martial artist uh, in the movie. No. Uh, Mr. Miyagi, he is uh, Okinawan, 
And uh, you yourself, mm -hmm. you um, dabble in some type of uh, Okinawan martial arts. Well, uh, I've been practicing Okinawan karate for 43 years. Mm -hmm. um, still consider myself a student, of course. My instructor was Sensei Richard Robago, who was Pialani's first instructor, who was Sensei Butch Togisawa's first instructor. We're all classmates. We came from the same sensei. I, um, um, Mr. Miyagi in the movie was based on a real life Miyagi named Chojun Miyagi who founded the style of Goju Ryu, which is another very famous Okinawan karate style. The writer of the movies was uh, Robert Mark Kamen, who was a Goju Ryu stylist. So that's how that came about. Oh, okay. Mr. Miyagi was stunt doubled by Sensei Fumio Demura, and um, all the fighting you see in the movies is Demura Sensei. Um, there's a movie out, a documentary called The Real Miyagi, which is about Sensei Demura's life. And it's, it's worth checking out because there's interviews. Uh, you know, I'm in it, and Sean Kanan is in it, and um, other people, uh, Sensei Robago, other people like that. Uh, you know, we talk about, you know, Sensei and his influence, you know, on us, and uh, how he really helped bring the Miyagi character to life. And Pat Morita himself uh, gives much respect to Sensei Demura in this documentary. Oh, that's awesome! I, I definitely, yeah, I, I've seen the, the the poster and the cover box. Um, so, so the 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 karate in Karate Kid, you you would actually say it's actually pretty pretty accurate. I think uh, they really try it. They really try it to be accurate. Um, you know, karate as it has come to be called originated from Okinawa. And, you know, of course, there were other indigenous martial arts that karate came from, you know, China and India and Southeast Asia. But karate or karate-do is a, a product of Okinawa. And eventually it went to Japan and to the States and to Europe and everywhere else in the world. So I think they're, they're trying to be true to the roots. That's uh, now, you know, everything is, you know, you, you got to make it a little bit more dramatic. You got to take some artistic license to make it more exciting, of course. But there is a lot of, um, there, there is a lot of genuine um, karate, I think, in these movies. What about the, the crane kick? Um, is that a real technique? Well, there is, but the, you know we call it a tobigiri. You know, sometimes it's called a jumping kick, or a, you know, I've I've heard it called a chicken kick. That's that's a real technique. Um, although I would never put my arms out like that. You know, <laughs> the way it's done, it's very dramatic. But um, interesting story behind that. Um, if you go back to the first movie, there is the tournament, and one of the fighters is the Filipino guy named. In, his character's name is Vidal, and he's played by my good friend Daryl Vidal. Okay. And I don't. You remember him, right? He's he's the Filipino fighter who's like really really good, and he's doing these wheel kicks and. Is he wearing like a white like tee? Yes. Okay. Yes, yes. Okay. Curly hair, maybe. Yep. Okay. Yep. Okay. And I know who you're talking he's about. He's a good friend of mine. Okay. He lives in Marietta, California. Um, really great, good guy. Still a great martial artist. And um, he was cast in that movie as one of the fighters, right? And uh, they needed to do this uh, this crane kick, and he could do it. So what they did is they put Daryl in this rubber Miyagi suit, so to so to speak. <laughs> and he's you know when he's on the beach doing the kick on the stumps, you know, on the wooden stumps, that's Daryl. Okay. So he kind of helped 
you know, create this whole mythos behind this crane kick. Now, you know, everybody thinks of the karate kid when you see this kick, right? Right. But if you go flash forward to the UFC, fighter named Leota Machida, who is also a friend of mine, I train under him, his brother now, and uh, Leoto Machida and Shinzo Machida, they're, um, they're my current senseis, and they're friends of mine. Leota Machida was able to effectively do that against a, a, a great fighter named Randy Couture a few years back, and oh, he, okay. he did it and nailed him right on the button and knocked him out. And everybody was like, oh, my God, Leota Machida is the real karate kid. <laughs> so, you know, it, it can work if used effectively. Now, of course, Leota didn't put his hands out like Danielson did, but uh, it's cool that, that that reference is still made. Yeah, that's that's really awesome. Yeah, it's it's really big in pop culture. Um, I mean, yeah. that's at, at least uh, you know, one of the big things that people do remember about the franchise is the crane kick and wax on, wax off. Correct, correct. You know, and you know, I I, I think that you know you certainly can. You know, I, I like to joke that I like to practice my sweeping kata is when I get my my mop out. <laughs> And you know, I you know, I pra- you know, I'll tell the kids, oh, we're gonna learn how to sweep today. Oh, really cool! And you know, you hand over the mop. That's that's the joke, right? Uh, so my cleaning kata. But you know, you can take any kind of motion that you do in regular life, and you know, somehow fit, make it adapt to I think martial arts. You know, and and vice versa. Yeah. So you know, mo- movement is movement, and you know, a lot of it just depends on our not only our necessity but our imagination. Yeah, that's amazing stuff. Um, one of the pivotal scenes in the movie is the the cliff scene where um, Jessica and Daniel uh, kind of go down this cliff to kind of, I, I guess, dig out a bonsai tree. Uh, right. Your character, Dennis, and Mike and Snake, they um, kind of pull, you know, Daniel and Jessica up. And then there's this big confrontation here about Daniel signing uh, the application to defend his title. Right. Uh, what was sure. what was filming that scene like? Um, and also working with uh, Robin uh, Lively. You know, she had just came out with like Teen uh, Witch earlier that year too. Yeah, that was pretty cool. We went up to Mendocino, California, wine country, to shoot a lot of that, and that's where uh, that's where where I was shot. Um, you know, up at the top of the cliff. The actual stuff that they um, they shot, you know, where they actually go down, they shot it on a, I think they shot it on a green screen um, of some sort, you okay. know, and, the, you know, the digital technology wasn't there yet, so it looked a little, you know, 1966 Batman-esque, you know. You, that is so uh, funny. It, it, my, my guest for the review, he said that exact same thing, and um, I watched it on DVD, and I was convinced that it was, you know, just kind of something that superimposed in the back. That was shot on a studio. Okay. But everything at the top of the of the cliff was actually on location in Mendocino. Oh, I see. Yeah, so they just kind of put that together through the magic of cinema. But you can kind of tell because, you know, when they're, when they're off the cliff, it, it, it definitely doesn't look... It, it, it has a... It, it looks fake, you know? <laughs> was, was it pretty dangerous to film? You know, were they... Um... You know, because it, it is on the cliff. Was there uh, some type of harness rigging and, um, you know, to prevent them from falling? Well, they definitely, um, you know, you know, Ralph was the one who was in the most danger, you know. So, you know, they definitely rigged him up so that, you know, he he wouldn't fall. And, you know, he was, he was I think he was just barely hanging, you know, barely hanging up. And, you know, they made sure he was safe. We were far back enough to where, you know, we were safe. And I honestly don't remember if they – 
if they rigged us or not. My my guess is they probably had some sort of safety harness on us, mm-hmm. uh, but I, I I I don't remember. Um, interestingly enough, while we were in Mendocino, um, Ralph was um, he came into contact with poison oak. Oh and, no! Uh, yeah, that 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 so he had you know red welts on his face and had some swelling, so he had to take a couple of days off, if I'm not mistaken. So that was more of a problem more than uh, the actual hanging off the cliff. That's funny because I, I think there's a, a line somewhere in the movie too that talks about poison oak. Oh, I wonder <laughs> if that was, uh, you know, maybe filmed out of sequence and they kind of threw that in as a joke, perhaps. I'm, I'm not sure. That's, that's interesting. I'm not actually. sure. I have to go back. I haven't seen the movie in a long time. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> no. oh, I, I can understand why. <laughs> it's, um, not, it's not one of those ones I revisit every year, you know. It's, sure. It's, uh, you know. I appreciate the work, but you know, you you look back on it and you go, "Ooh, that yeah, was uh, that, that ooh, was a thing." You know, <laughs> you know, it was uh, you know, the first is a classic, the second's pretty good. Yeah, there's 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 such a thing as going to the well one too many times, you know, and it's like, yeah, and I get it, you know, the studio is like, hey, we gotta we gotta we gotta get one of our franchises out, you know, and I think that was the same year that the first Tim Burton Batman came out, so it was. you know, it, it was. You know that was that was uh, I I, I kind of question the wisdom of that. At the same time, I still get a residual check from that movie. You know, I still make about a thousand dollars a year on that film. Wow. Something I did back in 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 eighty nine. You know, That's so crazy. Uh, it pays the bill here and there, and I'm not complaining. No, yeah, <laughs> I can understand that. Um, I'll tell you, I'll tell you, let me let me tell you something real quickly. Um, okay, Sean Kanan. Um, and, and I'm not sure how this happened, but somehow he got injured and um, he, there, there was almost like, okay, well, we're going to have to recast Mike Barnes. And it had something to do with his stomach. And I think like he had to go to the hospital. Oh, internal bleeding, I think I read. Something like that, yeah. yeah. And I think, according to Sean, it had something to do with maybe slamming into one of the walls or something on accident. I don't know how it happened. but um, So they were looking at other people. And one of the people that they brought in on set to read was Brandon Lee. Oh, wow. And I actually met Brandon. And um, so we were talking and he's like, yeah, you know, he, at that time he hadn't been keeping up his martial arts. And this was before he did. Um, he started doing his own films, um, Rapid Fire. And, mm. you know, he did um, Showdown in Little Tokyo. And, you know, obviously before The Crow. And, you know, he was still trying to, to make it as an actor. And he was, he really, really wanted the part. He was going, yeah, you know, I, I'd really like to get this role. But he's like, I, I don't know. I, you know I've, I had, I've been, you know, I got to quit smoking too. Because, you know, I think he would, he did a little bit of martial arts. And, you know, I think they were kind of like, well, you know, it was okay. And, you know, he, he kind of tells me afterwards, he goes, yeah, yeah, dude, I got to quit smoking, you know. <laughs> but <laughs> he was, um, it was really kind of cool meeting him. I was like, oh, man. You know, very nice to meet you. And this was before, you know, he he really became big and broke out of his father's shadow. So, yeah, that's amazing. Um, it's like your dad is Bruce Lee. Did you know that? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and I didn't even want to go there, you know, just because right. I know that, you know, he's got that his whole life. But I was right. just like, oh, just, you know, very not so much, well, I'm a big fan of your dad's, but it was like, wow, very nice to meet you. And I think he appreciated that. And he, and he was cool. Um and ultimately, Sean got better, and he was able to finish the role. And um, you know, everything went on as 
as it was supposed to go on. But um, I just that's an interesting anecdote I like to share with people. I did not get a picture with him. I wish I did, but uh, I did get a chance to meet him. Yeah, that's that's amazing. I, I wonder how different it could have been uh, with, with him, um, you know, playing Mike Barnes. I'm sure he would have played it completely different as well. Um, yeah, that definitely would have been interesting to see. I I wish there was like maybe like some footage that they would have eventually released, you know, in like some kind of supplemental material. Yeah, that would have been really cool. But I yeah. do remember I watched the, you know, he basically auditioned in front of us and I watched him audition for the director with Jonathan, Jonathan Adelson. And um, I don't know if he was reading off of Ralph or not, but I remember him doing the reading and he was pretty convincing. He did a, He did a good job. So uh, that I do remember, and I don't know if they um, they recorded his audition or not. But if they did, and it's lying around somewhere, I think that would be really, really cool to see. Yeah, it really would. Um, let's talk about the, the end scene at the tournament. Uh, it's very brief, but what was it like revisiting or actually, you know, being in that set? You know, that's very uh, famous from the first movie. Yeah, again, that was that was uh, surreal. They they reconstructed it on the studio. You know, it's amazing the attention to detail. It's like wow, this, you know, it looks like it did in the movie. You know, but it was it was done completely on the studio. They they did you know the whole tournament thing and the stands and and everything else. You know, you feel like you're you're part of history. You know, because I, I you know I remember you know seeing the original Karate Kid in the movie and you, you know, you're so familiar with the set and then it's like wow, I'm kind of here that's pretty neat with um the, the the fight scene that took place there what was really brief what, what was the shooting like well they choreographed that it was uh the um the writer robert mark Kamen. again as i said he's a goju root black belt he and pat johnson kind of worked out the details uh as far as the choreography and i got a chance to kind of play the parts while they were choreographing stuff like okay now you you be daniel and you do his part okay now you be mike and you do his moves so i got a chance to kind of learn the moves both parts so that they could help um so that they could put together this fight how long how long do you think it took uh, ralph to learn the the kata that, that he performs at the end uh, I remember Fumio Demaro working with him on that and he seemed to catch on pretty quick you know ralph used to be a tap dancer and he's a pretty quick learn from what I recall. So he was, he, he picks things up pretty well. Yeah, it looked natural uh, just watching it recently. Um, I, I enjoyed watching him do that, actually. Um, yeah, it was just uh, really interesting to watch. Yeah, he's, you know, I, I think it came from his dance background. And also, uh, you know, when you're an actor, you learn to, you know, you learn your lines quickly. And I, and I think you just... You learn to you learn to figure it out quickly. Yeah, you have to, right? Right, absolutely. I you know I I have to tell you also I I just produced a, a short film called Christmas Night and um, it's got some martial arts in it, but it's about Santa Claus who who it's a kick-ass Santa Claus. Um, okay. That's gonna uh, that's gonna be we're gonna release it around Christmas time. But if there's a sneak preview, I'll let you know. Oh, but great. I cast my female lead. My female lead is a Filipina girl, uh, and um, I um. I have as one of the um, as as one of the guys at the end who shows up is um, another Filipino friend of mine named Alvin Katakutan, and the interesting thing is is that these roles like they don't speak with accents and they're not they're not typical you know so we have like 
four Asian people, or at least part Asian people, who are in this film in non-typical roles, you know. And and part of my 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 goal and my mission also, what I want to do is to, uh, you know, start creating more realistic and diverse roles uh, for the Asian American and Pacific Islander community as well. You know, it, it's still. I think we're still behind. I stay. I think it's getting a little bit better, but there's still whitewashing going on. Absolutely. And Absolutely. you know, I I, I want to contribute in 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 a positive way that reflects our cultures in a positive light. And I'm not saying that you know there's never going to be any Asian villains or whatever, but at the same time, there's there's got to be balance, you know. And um, it irks me when I see characters that were originally written as Asian and who should be played by an Asian, and all of a sudden it's like, oh, you know, they just they went Caucasian. Right, right. Yeah, yeah representation so. matters. <laughs> For sure. Um, so as we're getting ready to to uh, finish up here, you um, released a book not too long ago, and uh, I, I kind of wanted to give a little shout-out to uh, our mutual friend, uh, Sensei Pialani, who she told me that she has a, a photograph in this book of yours. Well, um here, here's the thing. Um, for the last couple of years, I've been running my dojo, the Kaizen Dojo in Torrance. And, you know, Kaizen is a Japanese word that means continual improvement. And it's not just con- improvement in the martial arts, it's improvement as a human being. So I've been, since 2014, creating fundraisers for St. Children's, Children's Hospital. I like that charity very much because they, they take care of everything for these kids who have cancer. So their parents don't have to pay a bill. They don't have to pay travel. They don't have to pay for food or lodging. And I really can get behind an organization like that. So in 2014, I created a fundraiser and it was, um, a, um, I was celebrating 40 years in the martial arts. So I created an event at my dojo called 40 rounds for 40 years in which I was supposed to fight, uh, 40 rounds, uh, one minute rounds, not fight, but spar mm-hmm. with 40, local black belts and it ended up being about 80 rounds because all the little kids in my class wanted to get in on it and beat the heck out of me. So, (laughs) um, but you know, we were able to raise a significant amount of money that year for St. Jude. Um, my very last opponent that day was Daryl Vidal from karate kid one who uh, helped originate the crane kick. He was my last opponent. That uh, footage is available. And if you want, I'll send you the link, but it's kind of cool because we both ended with uh, the crane pose. <laughs> so it's pretty cool. Um, and then I did one the following year where I called it 49 Kata for 49 years, which was basically celebrating my 49th birthday. And then in 2016, I, I couldn't think of anything to do. And then, you know, inspiration hits me kind of like Doc Brown from Back to the Future where I'm doing something and I'm like, oh, great, God, I got it. And the idea came to me about creating a book called the beginner's mind project, which is the whole idea about, you know, being able to metaphorically or even physically put on a white belt, no matter how many years you've trained and be a student, be a beginner again. So we were able to enlist the help of the martial arts community to come in and, um, and help us with this. So um, it's a picture book that, is, you know, Lyoto Machida, Chinzo Machida, Fumio Demura, Gerald Okamura, uh, Butch Togisala, um, other people like Michelle Manu and Rob Moses, uh, Daryl Vidal, they're, they're all in this book. And all the proceeds will go to St. Jude Children's Hospital. It's uh, $30, and these can be pre-ordered. Um, I will uh, 
share the contact information with you um, if you want. But, you know, if you go to uh, um, my Facebook page or, you know, or, um, you know, you can you can order it through me. But um, it's it's a really great um, project that I think will do really well. And hopefully we'll be able to raise another five or ten thousand dollars for the um, for the hospital. I uh, collaborated with a photographer named Kelly Tamayo, who is also an old classmate from Sinsirubago's Dojo, and we were able to create quite a a lovely book, and I think it will be well received. So yeah. thank you for letting me talk about that. That's that's a project that that's very close to my heart. Absolutely, that's amazing. That's uh, definitely for a great cause. Um, yes, please share me uh, share with me the the information on how uh, listeners could uh, pre order the book and uh, the different sites that they can find it. And I'll definitely include it in this uh, episode's uh, show notes. That way, they have easier access to getting to that site. Okay, and you know, the, anybody can always email me at thekaizendojo at gmail dot com. T h e k a i z e n d o j o at gmail dot com and order a book. It's $30. And um, again, proceeds go to the hospital. So, you know, we were, we've, we've, earned, we've raised together, not me, but we collectively as a community have raised about $30,000, $33,000 for, for kids, you know, for kids who need it. And yeah, we want to continue to do that. I want to do that for the rest of my days. And I want every, every martial artist, uh, to be able to, you know, contribute to a greater good as well. And I, I tell you, um, I couldn't do it by myself. I'm so blessed to have people like Pialani and Cynthia Butch and um, so many other people who, when you ask them for help, they're there. They're, they, they are selfless and uh, they always have my back and I always have theirs. So, you know, we're just so lucky that we, we have this great community of fantastic people who come together and, we're trying to make the world a better place, you know, a little bit at a time, just doing a little bit, you know? Yeah, absolutely. That's, that's great that you got all that support. It's really amazing. Definitely. I thought maybe you could give me a few lessons. Focus. Karate. Discipline. Courage. A girl no one believed in put her away is about to prove She's the next Karate Kid. Yes! Rated PG. All right, so now we're going to jump into the next Karate Kid. Uh, this was a little confusing as far as the release date uh, because it has uh, it has a release date of September 9th, 1994. And I'm looking on a box office mojo and I'm not seeing it on here. And I'm pretty sure, yeah, it, I, I remember it definitely had a theatrical release and it's just not listed on here, which is kind of weird. That but, is weird. Yeah, but I'll just go ahead and name the movies That's that came out. That's a bad out. omen if, you know, even Box Office Box Mojo isn't. Doesn't recognize it. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's like, they're, they're like, uh, they had to have made money to be on our, uh, on our site. <laughs> <laughs> but the movies that came Box out. Box Office, oh no. Yeah, um, let me see. So September 9th, that same year, uh, Rapa Nui, uh, came out, uh, A Good Man in Africa, Trial by Jury, and one, two, three. Okay, so those are the only three that came out uh, that weekend. Rapa Nui sounds familiar. I'm drawing a blank on all of those. I feel a good man in Africa. Isn't that a Robert 
Nope, that's a Sean Connery movie. Hmm. I have never yeah. heard of any of those. Nothing. Yeah, me neither. And the number one song at that point. Oh, wow. Impressive. Uh, I'll Make Love to You by Boys to Men. Yeah, that was number one for what's uh, about three and a half months there. Wow, wow! Yeah. I didn't know it was that big of a hit. Three Absolutely. and a half months. Three and a half months. Yeah, it wow. started started uh, late August and ended in uh, late November. So all of November. Wow. Mm-hmm. Big hit. Big hit. That song. That was a quite the year for R&B and pop songs. Oh, um, yeah. Yeah, Ace of Bass, uh, Celine Dion, Mariah Carey, All for One, Lisa Loeb. Oh, yeah. Yeah, mm-hmm. the soundtrack of my high school years, sounds like. Yeah, so uh, so this one again, yeah, it came out uh 1994. Uh, in this story, uh, Mr. Miyagi, he attends some kind of uh, anniversary of the f- 442nd, I guess they're kind of commemorating his battalion. I, I hope I'm using the right word. And while he's there, he meets, uh, the widow of a uh, old friend of his who takes in her, uh, a granddaughter who lost her parents. Did you catch how even? It was a car accident, wasn't car it? Car accident. Oh, very convenient. Uh, so lost her parents <laughs> in a car accident. And she is very rebellious, uh, as most cinematic, uh, teenagers are. And Mr. Miyaki decides to send grandmother away to his house, uh, in California while he watches the granddaughter and teaches her karate. Kind of creepy, isn't that? A little weird. Yeah. I, I, I'm going to send you away and I'm going to take care of your granddaughter. There's definitely some kind of weird. Yeah. Uh, now I did not mention that this actually has a new writer and director. So this is directed by Christopher Kane, who, uh, makes a return here at Paul Stalgic. Uh, he recently did, uh, Young Guns, which I also blew my mind when yeah. I found that out. Yeah. I, I, I still love <laughs> Young Guns. It's a great movie. And this is no Young Guns at all. No, not even close. Uh, Mark Lee is the writer of this one, and I don't, I don't know who he is, but the only returning cast member who has been in all four movies is Pat Morita, obviously, as, uh, Mr. Miyagi, which we learned is, uh, Sergeant Kasuki Miyagi. So we, we learned his, uh, first name in this one. Um, the new karate kid in this movie is Hilary Swank, who plays Julie Pierce. Uh, Michael Ironside plays Colonel Dugan, who is, um, what, what is he? Is he like a coach slash security guard? He's like, a security what is he? guard. He's essentially lead hall monitor. Yeah, that's, that's what it seems like. <laughs> I thought, he, I thought he was going to be like a teacher or something, but, um, I, I don't, I don't even think he's like a football coach or anything. He's just like, no. yeah. Yeah. Like it's, it's kind of undefined, you know, what his actual title is in this one, other than they call him Colonel because I'm, I'm sure he was a Colonel in the army. Actually, you know, he kind of strikes me as that kind of, you know, dork who, have you ever heard the phrase, there's nothing worse than a little person with a little power? Uh, kind of like the Napoleon complex? Yeah. Well, no, 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 not, he, he's insignificant. He's in, he's just a little person, but 
give him a little bit of responsibility and it goes to his head. I'm willing to bet that he's not a real colonel. He's just somebody who mm. likes to be called colonel. Got it. I can see that. I can see that because, I mean, even their uniforms, if you've, you want to call it that, look nothing militaristic. Yeah. It doesn't even look, you know, rent a cop worthy. It's a, it's a t-shirt with a shoulder patch. Oh, that and, and blue jeans. I mean, yes. <laughs> if they were like cargo pants, would have been a little bit nicer. Um, <laughs> but, uh, Constant Towers, Constance Towers, uh, plays Louisa Pierce, who's the grandmother. Again, she was in here for like five minutes. Chris Conrad, who plays Eric, uh, he is the male love interest uh, to Julie. Now, I haven't reviewed the movie yet, but Chris Conrad, he was in Mortal Kombat Annihilation, uh, which would come out three years later. So he knows how to pick sequels. <laughs> Little shade there. Um, let's see. Ned, played by Michael Cavallari. He is your, uh, Johnny Lawrence, you know, he's the bad guy of this movie, if you even want to call him that. And that's, that's pretty much it for, right? For our main people. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm going to come out right and, uh, and just say it real quick though, but this was definitely your stereotypical East meets West kind of deal. And yeah. that's not something that was present in the first, at least the first two movies. Not, not even in part two, I, I would say. Mm-hmm. I mean, it was more so like, uh, phrases and sayings, you know, but this one, yeah. it was like Julie was very, like, naive and kind of ignorant to like the Asian culture. But like in her defense, a lot of the stuff that happened at the, the monastery, like, Mr. Miyagi didn't prepare her for that. No, no. Um, the monastery thing I thought was kind of, odd it came out of nowhere <laughs> it did i i um the only thing i remember from this movie uh because after it happened i'm like oh that's right it was in the trailer it's when mr miyagi opens up the door while she's changing like i I remember that because like oh of course we've never seen that before because he keeps saying it you know that uh you know girls are more difficult you know for everything training and just dealing with he never had to deal uh deal with any of this stuff with Daniel. Though he did at least knock on Daniel's door. Yeah, no, you're right. Uh, and having watching these movies back to back in the third movie, he did very much of that was knocking yeah. on the door and we kept on seeing his silhouette. Um, but the, when, when, when Mr. Miyagi's like, Hey, you know, let's, we're going to go visit an old friend. I really thought they were going to pay Daniel a visit. I thought it was a little weird that they were driving, but I thought, you know, I, again, I remembered nothing but that one little scene. So I thought that they were going to pay Daniel like a, just a brief visit where Daniel is going to be like, Hey, listen to the guy. He knows what he's talking about. You know, just something like that. But I guess Ralph Macchio was like 33 at the time of this movie's filming and release. So he can come back as like a teenager. Yeah. Now, did they even explain where Daniel was? Nope. Just one drop line that, um, Mr. Miyagi used to live with a boy. <laughs> <laughs> again out mm-hmm. of context sounding kind of creepy yeah i think it came up at least twice um yeah but yeah he used to live with a boy that's right um what did you think of pat Morita in this movie honestly th- i don't want to say it was bad but it was definitely his worst performance in the series it it really was uh, this movie in some scenes i felt were just a parody yeah i mean even you could tell that by this point he was getting up there in age 
he couldn't really perform the fight scenes as well as he did previously. You could tell that they were relying on, you know, editing and cutting and stand-ins, and it just wasn't convincing at all. And even the dialogue was... It, it, it I feel bad saying this, but it almost sounds like what a Western, Western culture would expect an Eastern culture to say. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, I, I think it really was. You're not wrong. I mean, this is a different writer, uh, a different director, and, you know, quite frankly, it's a different decade. We're, we're in the 90s now, mm-hmm. and... My God, like everything in the school, I just kept on rolling my eyes. I'm like, you know, it was just a, a such a different change. Um, you know, in, in everything, you know, uh, some of the, uh, pop culture references in here. At first, I didn't, I didn't like Julie. Like she actually really grew on me. Like she, um, her relationship with Mr. Miyagi did, uh, for me at least, um, got a little bit better, you know, uh, like during the monastery stuff. I feel like they were trying to maybe correct what didn't happen in part three, where they broke, um, broke up Daniel and Mr. Miyagi for a good chunk of the movie. And this one, mm-hmm. they kept Julie with Mr. Miyagi like almost the entire movie. Yeah. Um, so I think they were trying to give us that where three was lacking that. Now, do we want to talk about much of the plot at all in this one? What plot there is? Well, I mean, essentially this is, uh, Kind of like part three, what, what you said about that one is like, it's a rehash of part one. You know, they, mm-hmm. they try to give us a, a sprinkle of, uh, wax on, wax off, which he, he says, all right, let's wax this car, but he doesn't teach her the technique, you know, no. and then Colonel Dugan is just like John Kreese, even the, uh, the end fight scene. It's very similar, almost beat for beat. Uh, we got a dance scene again, just like in every single Karate Kid movie, except this one was just ridiculously over the top yeah where you had the bad guys bungee jumping in to crash the scene for no reason yeah exactly <laughs> i have no idea why i forgot that that happened because i was like uh, again i didn't remember anything so i was just like what uh what happens here because I, I remember something happens with the bad guys so i was actually actually expecting a fight you know with her in in the dress but then like yeah these guys just drop out of nowhere quite literally and it's just like oh Dugan's going too far, you know, which, like, what, why, what, what, what is even going on? You know, like one guy injures yeah, I, himself. I'm, I'm, I'm still trying to figure out why the security guards had it out for Hillary Swank. I, I know that the, the head kid kind of had this weird rapey crush on her. That came up where twice. he, get, yeah. And he, he kept saying that she was his. But I don't understand why the rest of the group was going after her. It's really weird because they, I mean, he, uh, he gets these really rapey vibes with her, but they really just chase her throughout the movie for no reason at all. Like she's just mm-hmm. a target to them. And I don't know what Ned's fascination is with the dock. Like he keeps talking about taking her to the dock. Oh, you've never been there, right? So, you know, I'm going to take you there and. And, and Dugan's just like all for it. You know, he's the one who believes that, uh, let me see. The first time we see Ned catch Julie do anything, you know, she's just sitting there listening to music. And then he tells Dugan, Oh, she was smoking, you know, and Dugan's like, yep, you know, let's uh, take her to the office. And which is, I mean, you've been around people who smoke. They have a scent, especially if they had just smoked. You'd figure that the principal would be like, uh, yeah, no, she wasn't. Right. Yeah. I mean, you can smell it on the hands, on the clothes, especially. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. 
and you'd figure that the principal, would, you know, would say, "Hey, uh, Dugan, as long as uh, I have you in the office, why are you choking my students?" Right. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I mean, he was doing this in the middle of the schoolyard. <laughs> yeah, in front of witnesses. Only Mr. Miyagi's the one who's like man enough to walk up there and say, "Hey, so I'm looking for a <laughs> looking for a student here." You know, uh, it's really, really weird. I I don't understand what the heck is going on with like uh. Dugan and, and all these guys, like, what, what's he, are they, what are they? I, I thought they were maybe like a football team, but they don't seem to be that. No, they're security guards, but they seem to be student security guards, which again leads me to believe that they're just militant hall monitors. Yeah, they're not very good if Julie is able to escape, like, out of the bathroom just to go up on the roof. Um, what do you think is the significance of this hawk? Is this the new bonsai tree? Yes. Uh, this is just a weird movie because you know how <laughs> the third one kind of undermined Daniel's character? Uh-huh. I kind of felt that this one undermined Miyagi's character. It really did. Because at the very end, they get away. They're done. They they go and rescue the boyfriend at the docks after, by the way, Michael Ironside told his students to kill him. Right. They get away and she's like, hey, I want to fight this guy. I think it's time. Yeah, he's like, well, no, no, you really should. But I I really think I, I should. Yeah, okay, go ahead and fight. Yeah, if you put it that what? way, go ahead. <laughs> what? Yeah. <laughs> what happened to karate for defense only? Right. And and uh, why does he decide to teach her if she's not, you know, a relative? I mean, I don't know. I guess he feels he owes it to her grandpa, you know, who saved his life in, in the war. And he did teach... Uh, her grandfather, even though, again, not a relative. Right. Yeah, and, and then, for no reason whatsoever, he fights Dugan, and it just kind of ends. That's pretty much it. <laughs> uh, so you already talked a little bit about that fight scene. I was... The, the fight between Mr. Miyagi and Dugan. Now, Mr. Miyagi was kicking butt, you know, and that was kind of the, uh, a thing that Julie kept on saying because there's another scene earlier where Mr. Miyagi saves her from some dudes at a gas station just because Mr. Miyagi talked to the guy's dog wrong. <laughs> <laughs> what is that? Um, but Dugan did nothing to defend him, himself. So uh, how is he even like training these other guys? You know what I mean? Like, it's really hard to buy that Mr. Miyagi is that good. You know what I yeah. mean? Like, um, it, it could be a thing where it's just, you know, cause Pamarita was so old, they were trying to go easy on him, but they, they didn't make Dugan's character very threatening at all, or it, you know, not even very intimidating. He st- he stands behind his students. If any actor is easy to make intimidating, it's Michael Ironside. Right. Now, I, I, this was what kind of popped my head when I was watching this movie. Have you ever read a book and you're reading like maybe a 10 pass, 10 page passage and you just realize, wait a second, I have no idea what was just going on. Yes. You have to go back and kind of <laughs> I, reread it. That's how I felt the entire movie. Okay. See, I've, I've had that happen to me with watching movies. Like what? Like I'm already half an hour in and I didn't get any of that. <laughs> um, yeah, that's how I felt this entire movie. I had no idea what was going on. It's like, why are the monks bowling? This doesn't make any sense. Why are there monks? Like, why is there a monastery? What is the Zen arrow? Like what, what is all these things? And I just didn't see how it like, 
was this her like retreat? This is where she's supposed to go to kind of like find herself and kind of like suppress her anger better. Like, I don't know. None of that monastery stuff, um, worked for me. It actually kind of, that's where I found it a little insulting. Um, just because, uh, again, I didn't feel it was fair, fair to her. Mr. Miyagi didn't, uh, tell her kind of like the rules and things like that. Um, he, you know, that, I don't know what it's called, but you know, the Japanese, they have, you know, the, that, that, that sand thing, you know, where. Oh, Zen gardens? Yeah, the Zen gardens. Okay. So he, Mr. Miyaki was talking about how sacred that is, yet they are using it for her to kind of just walk <laughs> all over to get mm-hmm. on rocks and yep. just practice this kick, which I felt very cheesy. I felt the, the kick was very cheesy, the way it was filmed, shot, and her attempts at trying to get it right. Well, that, and there were, I'm always a big, it annoys me, I should say, when you have scenes or subplots in television shows or, or movies that if you were to completely take them out, would make no difference to the movie. Mm-hmm. This movie is filled with those. You could have gotten rid of the entire bowling scene. Right. Yeah. Wouldn't have made a difference to the movie. That you, was you so terrible. Gotten- they, they are, te- the, the, the filmmakers are telling us that if you are a monk and you pray, you can get strikes. With your eyes closed. With your eyes closed. One of the monks hit the gutter and it popped right back out and he got a strike. <laughs> what is going on here? That, that, that doesn't happen in this universe. Not only that, but you have the caricature rednecks, which I thought it was kind of weird because the movie took place in Massachusetts, just in the outskirts of Boston. Mm-hmm. But you still have a whole town full of people with southern drawls and, right. you know, pick em up trucks. They start out fighting the, uh, the, the monks and then literally the next scene, they're all getting together, having a good time, hugging each other. That just, it's, it's like, did they cut something out that, that's missing? No, just filmed poorly. <laughs> oh, good lord. Um, you know, the, the, the plot is really weak, obviously. Um, the execution was, was poor. Worse. Yeah. It's, I, I do like Julian Miyagi. You know, that's, that's not terrible. That's, you know, it's okay. That's, that's the main crux of this story really was the next cry to kid. Um, I think, I think the way they get to Mr. Miyagi training her was very weak. You know, he, she runs out of the house in a fit of not rage, but she just got a temper tantrum. Yeah. A temper tantrum. She runs outside and almost gets hit by a car, but her reflexes, Allows her to jump on top of the head. And Mr. Mike is like, there's something about you. I need to train you, you know, or teach you karate to help suppress all that anger. The, the things that I did like is more so the, the gender differences, you know, um, having trained Daniel the last three movies and now having to train a, a young woman. Those stuff I, I I did find you know fun you know even even the waltzing was kind of like the new not quite the 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 crane kick but you know it I I liked it's the new wax on wax off is is what it was mm-hmm. the the karate waltz uh, I think he called it or something I mean that was okay I I think those were that was probably like one of the best things in the movie was just Miyagi and uh, Julie together yeah um. Honestly, I'd say it's a testament to Hilary Swank and Pat Morita. They really took pretty bad material and they were still able to at least do something with it. Yeah. 
I mean, she was pretty bad. And I'm not talking about acting because I think that's the material that she was given. She was supposed to be very kind of like Karate Kid 3 Daniel, you know, uh, in the very early uh, part of the movie. And she did really grow on me. And I can see, you know, like the glimpses of, you know, what would, you know, lead her into starring, more starring roles. And um, did she, she won, right, for Boys Don't Cry? Yes. Okay. And and I'm pretty sure she won for Million Dollar Baby. I oh, have to look I, I think up. you're right. I think you're right. Yeah, because uh, I remember that getting a lot of things too. At the very least, nominated. Mm-hmm. Um, speaking of casting, the your two high school guys here, Eric and Ned, they're both like forty, right? I mean, <laughs> oh, they, there they, was one other notable uh, cast member that we kind of didn't talk about. I don't know his name, uh, but I know Walter Goggins. Yeah, yeah. He was in the uh, the Shield. He was in uh, House of a Thousand Corpses. He's phenomenal in Vice Principals. If you haven't seen that show, I cannot recommend that show highly enough. Yeah, he he played a guy named Charlie or something like that. Um, yeah, where yeah. There was one scene. Uh, he was kind of came out of nowhere. It was like at the very end when they were picking on Eric, and uh, he goes. Oh, let, let, let me get, a, like, um, he, he wanted to fight him first. It was like, but, but where did that come from? Like, he's done nothing to you. Uh, so I thought that was a little, a little weird there. Yeah. The whole movie was just weird. It really was. Now you know why this movie was kind of hard to find. Yes. It was very, <laughs> very hard to find. Yeah. Surprisingly, it was great quality though. Yeah. I, so I was very surprised at that. Um, what'd you think of the score? So Bill Conti does return for this one as well, who did, uh, two, three, and four. Uh, this one being four. Um, he definitely like kind of updated and modernized, you know, uh, the, 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 you know, the, the score from the previous two movies. Honestly, it didn't really stand out to me. I definitely heard some of like, you know, that, that actual original music, but, uh, you know, some more percussions were added and the tempo might have been switched up a little bit. Yeah. I wouldn't want a CD of it. No, no. I don't, yeah, I, I don't, I don't really know what to say about this movie except if you like riff tracks, uh, I, this is a perfect movie for riff tracks. Um, this movie did make some money back. It, what? Yeah, three point eight million. <laughs> well, on a, on, a, on a budget of what? Uh, twelve million. So, so okay, it, it was okay, twelve million, okay. and the box office was fifteen point eight million. <laughs> wow! So it barely got money back, just barely. Almost four million back. Wow! So not good. Uh, this also got nominated for something. Now, I actually had never heard of this uh this award before. Let me pull it back up real quick here. So the award, it's um the Stinkers Bad Movie Awards. Never heard of it. <laughs> I've never but, heard of it either. <laughs> but it won for the sequel nobody was clamoring for. You know, I can see what they were trying to do, uh, and and I think it was actually kind of for the time. I thought it. I think it's a, an example of forward thinking, because back then there really weren't action movies that were geared toward young girls or, or girls in general, let alone young girls. Right. So I, I, I will give them some credit in that regard, but boy, this was bad. This was really bad. You know, and any, any, uh, Razzies or stinkers or anything like that were very well deserved. 
Yeah, for me, um, I I kind of agree with you because I was thinking like, well, what would have been what would have been like the alternative, like a uh, you know, like a young African American like inner city youth, you know, that he kind of takes in, but. I feel like this is kind of riding off the coattails of your three ninjas, your surf ninjas. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Remember, I, I actually covered surf ninjas on this one with, uh, you know, the aforementioned, uh, previous guest, Pia Lani. And she came, she came in and was like, wow, you made me watch this. I'm like, yeah, well, <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's got Ernie Reyes Jr., you know, and I love the guy. So, but, uh, yeah, the uh, surf ninjas came out in 93. I, I think, uh, three ninjas probably came out around the same time as well. So they're like, Hey, let's, let's do something different. Remember Crowded Kid? Well, that was a franchise. Let's see if we can bring back Miyagi. And I feel that's kind of what they did. And it just, it, it didn't work. No, no. And it, it's sad to see this franchise end up the way it did because. If they had left it at two, I think everybody would have finally remembered those two movies a lot more, at least a lot better than they remember the franchise as a whole. Yeah, these latter two movies definitely tainted them, the the franchise. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It it's a it's a shame, really. Now I know you keep saying you um, you're not gonna watch the Jaden Smith version. But, no, no. But what I will drop, um, you know, uh, for those that haven't seen it and are on the cusp of checking it out. On IMDb, it does have uh, a higher rating than Karate Kid 2, 3, and the next Karate Kid. Higher rating than 2? Yep. Not by much, but but yes. That's very surprising. Does that intrigue you a little bit? No, no, <laughs> not, no. Not at the very least. <laughs> no, no. I, not, I will not have anything to do with Jaden Smith. <laughs> Uh, fair enough. But yeah, I, I did have to look it up just, um, to kind of throw that in just in case, just in case, you know, if you're like, really? Well, you know, maybe it's kind of worth the watch. Um, and to see here, let me just double check again. So this was out of 127,000 votes. Uh, you know, so I'm not going to reveal the score again. Just if anybody is interested, it did have the second highest rating of this entire franchise. So. Yeah, but I'm wondering about that there was a pretty big drop off between, let's face it, Karate Kid, the first one, mm-hmm. and then the, uh, the remake. I'm, I'm willing to bet that there's a steep drop off. Steep drop off. Let me, uh, look up the original again real quick. Uh, an entire point. For IMDb, that's pretty significant. Yeah, I guess you're Not, right. And I'm willing to bet it's even steeper on Rotten Tomatoes. Mm, that's a very good one. You know, I do have, let's pull up Rotten Tomatoes too while we're at it. I'm trying everything I can to get you to watch it. <laughs> <laughs> I can't, I can't, I can't do it. I mean, my, my co-host Jake, he has this aversion to, uh, Leonardo DiCaprio movies. Mm-hmm. I think I might be the same way when it comes to Jaden Smith. Oh, okay. Okay. I can see that. All right. Let's see here. Um, it is fresh at sixty six percent. Really? Mm-hmm. Uh and that's all critics. Uh audience no. members uh gave it a sixty seven, so just one percent more. That's shocking. Mm-hmm. Never gonna watch it, so I'll have to take their word. <laughs> all right, all right. <laughs> so so the critics uh they liked it for what it was worth. Huh. And that's a total of two hundred and five reviews counted on the tomato meter. That's surprising. That is very surprising. So my kids did uh, really, uh, really did enjoy it. So, I mean, it's got Jackie Chan, 
You know, it's got a very heart, heartfelt scene, uh, with him and his backstory. So they, they give his character a backstory, uh, early on, you know, as opposed to the original, uh, franchise. We don't get too much of him until, well, we, we get the, the that one drunken scene, obviously. Yeah. Which is, yeah, uh, that's, I guess, that's actually really, really effective. Yeah. In, in hindsight, they're actually pretty similar, but, uh, yeah. I, you know, I, I think I'm gonna watch the, the Karate Kid, uh, Maybe not anytime soon, the, the remake that is, but uh, I, I'm going to watch it again just to kind of see what I think, because I definitely did not watch it as a podcaster. So mm-hmm. we'll see uh, how I how I feel about that. So ratings for uh, the next Karate Kid. I don't want to give it zero. Okay. Because point uh, there's... Five. Point, point five. Okay. Yeah, I, I've seen worse movies. Yeah, because pe- people worked hard on this. Yeah. Yeah, they they, they tried their best. Um. Okay, let's see here. I gave part three. Uh, you gave oh, that a three. A three? A four? Three or like four. It, I, I feel maybe it was a four. I feel like it might have been a four. Oh, man. I'm going to... Man, if if I gave part three a four, I'm going to give this one like a three and a half. Wow, that's very generous. Yeah, because that again... I very I, generous. I, I really liked the stuff with Julia Miyagi. You know, um, though I didn't like the setting of the the monastery, I, I didn't like the bowling stuff. I didn't like Eric. I still like them, you know, and it was okay. Like, I, if, you know what? I will give them credit. I enjoyed Julie's character in this more than I enjoyed Daniel in part three. So I'm going to go ahead. I'll be generous. I'll give it a a one. A 1.25. <laughs> okay. Uh, <laughs> now here's another thing I'll give it. There is one moment I, I genuinely, uh, laughed out loud, um, in the next credit kid, uh, and in credit kid part three, I didn't have that moment. I, I had a part where I smiled, maybe, you know, a, a laugh, but a legit laugh out loud. Um, so in the monastery, there's the, the scene where, um, they're eating and Julie's about to kill a cockroach. Uh, but then one of the monks, uh, uh, saves it from her smashing it and they all kind of like, uh, walk away because they are, um, you know, they don't believe in, in killing anything, right? And then okay. later on, they surprise Julie with the birthday cake. And before she knows what's going on, she's like, all right, I killed a spider. I, but, I, but, you know, it was an accident. That actually got a pretty good chuckle out of me. Yeah. Personally, I, Personally, I think it was kind of, I don't know, if I were the monks, I'd have been mad at her for, you know, putting her shoe on the table that I'm trying to eat at. Yes, that is pretty disrespectful. Pretty gross. Yeah, I mean, I think in most cultures, but yes. Yeah. Uh, That didn't make any sense. They were mad at her, and then all was forgiven just because she grabbed another bug and brought it in. Yeah. Doesn't make any sense. I well, think I'm being very generous with the 1.25. Yeah, now that not, not <laughs> you're thinking about it, you, you know what it is. Like, I, I think it's one of those things where they're not trying to be racist, but like the writer might have been like, "Whoa, praying mantis is a thing." You know, maybe they find that sacred. She brings one in, and they'll forgive her. That could be it, because yeah, that scene like made no sense uh, at all. Um. Thinking back to part three real quick, did you find that one like very predictable? Oh yeah, yeah, because I mean they were doing so many things that were straight out of the first one. What about this one? 
yeah, I mean, it was, it was muddled and it was confusing, but <laughs> you knew that they were going to eventually have the final fight with the bad guys and they would win and that would be that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, uh, I guess that's it. So very, uh, you, you obviously wouldn't watch this again. No. I probably wouldn't either. Uh, but I think I could say if it was on, I wouldn't be like, oh, I need to turn this, like, I need to change the channel right away. Like, I may just be like, you know what? Let me, let me see what scene it's on real quick. And let, let me see a little bit of uh, Mr. Miyagi before I change it. So that's kind of where I, I lie with that one. So that's it. That's, uh, that concludes our review of this entire franchise, or at least the, the original series with uh, Mr. Miyagi. This was fun. We got to find another franchise, sir. Oh, absolutely. I, I, I like this a lot, actually. I, I think, uh, I think that's a great idea. Um, I did read a little piece of trivia for the next Karate Kid. Uh, apparently Ralph Macchio, uh, declined to come back in any capacity because he didn't want to be the, um, the, the kid version of Sylvester Stallone. You know what? That wouldn't be a bad thing. No, it wouldn't. But I can uh, think of worse fates. Though, in all fairness, by that point, he was trying to branch out because wasn't this right around, like, My Cousin Vinny? Yeah. Yeah, I think it's about this. It might have been the year after? My Cousin Vinny was, like, 93, 94, I feel. Yeah. Yeah, so. And, I mean, even then, it wasn't, like, a big role, but, I mean, he was, like, you know, the main nephew. (laughs) And he actually had done very, I think he got pretty good reviews in that, at, at that role. I liked him a lot. Um, shameless plug, but I did review my cousin Vinny with a uh, guest Daniel, so check that out. Um, but yeah, Tom, we'll definitely have to uh, look at some other franchises for you to come back on. Yeah, this was definitely a lot of fun. No, uh, and out of, out of curiosity, things, do you mm-hmm. review horror movies on this show at all? I have. I mean, I've done Get Out, which is you know your genre bending horror. Um, and we did uh, my son and I. We did Dawn of the Dead, the Zack Snyder one. Okay. Um, we did Frighteners, which I think most people would argue it's a, a thriller. Mm-hmm. Um, and I guess the, uh, uh, the first ring, uh, movie, that's also a thriller slash horror. I mean, it's PG-13, but I mean, I wouldn't be opposed to it. I eventually want to do like Nightmare on Elm Street or something. That's what I was actually thinking. If we wanted to do a, at least a couple of those for Halloween, that might be kind of fun. Yeah. I, I have the, um, the Blu-ray set. Yeah, that's actually a really very well put together set. Yeah, and I, it wasn't you that I was speaking with recently, but I spoke with somebody and I, I think I've only seen like maybe four Freddy movies and that, that includes like Freddy versus Jason, the, uh, the remake, the first one, and then maybe one of the sequels. That's really it. And I, I actually wouldn't mind watching them all, um, all of them. Yeah, that actually might not be a bad thing. Uh, and if you want, Netflix has a, uh, a really, really good all encompassing, uh, documentary on that series called Never Sleep Again. It's I've heard of very, that. M- matter of fact, very, uh, very well done. I feel, did, didn't you and Jake have an episode where you guys talked about that? No, 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 I don't think okay. so. Might have been another show. Um, but I have heard of, of that one and I hear that's really good. So, um, so, you know, we'll definitely put a pin in that franchise and it won't be in the near future. Um, so yeah, may- maybe some, somewhere towards October or something like that. Maybe, uh, maybe we'll do like two at a time or something. That's what I was thinking. Yeah. Yeah. 
So I like that a lot. And it'll be just like the, the original nightmares. So, oof. I'm not a huge fan of, of horror movies, but I do like a good scare. The only one that's really, in my opinion, a true horror movie would be the, uh, the first Nightmare on Elm Street and Wes Craven's New Nightmare. The rest of them, okay. they're too cheesy and sometimes funny to really be scary. That's what I hate about horror movies, especially like the ones in the nineties. Oh, these are, these are eighties all the way. Okay. You know what? I'm, I'm looking forward to getting your reaction on, on some of these. <laughs> this is going to be fun. Yeah. yeah, it will be. So, all right, uh, Tom, uh, again, why don't you go ahead and pimp out your show where, uh, listeners can find you, um, uh, for this last time until uh, your return. All right, so once again, you can listen to me uh, every week on Jake and Tom Conquer the World. We release episodes every Sunday. You can uh, get us uh, pretty much anywhere. You can get a podcast, iTunes, TuneIn Radio, Stitcher, all that stuff. Uh, if you have an Android-based phone, I always encourage people to hit us up on the uh, Couch Party app available on the Google Play Store. Beyond that, uh, if you want to hit me up on Twitter, you can find me at the Drunken Dork. All righty, and... Um... For me on Twitter and Instagram, you can find me at Podstalgic. If you want to find any of my other content, you can uh, visit CortemParts.com, uh, where you can find my other show, We Got Five, and Podstalgic. Uh, we got a group page, too, so if you want to interact with me or any of the other hosts, um, to include Tom, um, you can join the group page titled Cortem Parts Podcast. So uh, I hope everyone enjoyed uh, this the retrospective actually and i know you know what i did yeah i hey you know i was happy to kind of watch three and four again so that way i'm not always like i remember them not being bad i can actually say yeah they're bad <laughs> <laughs> definitively yeah yep. they're, they're bad don't watch them um but yeah tom thank you so much again uh, oh my for, pleasure for on. yeah so they'll do it for me uh thank you guys for uh for listening we will talk to you later all right Thank you for listening to the Cortem Parts Podcast Network. To listen to more Cortem Parts shows, visit cortemparts.com.